All right. Well, hey, we are starting a new series that we're calling Saul to Paul, a Good Hope Vision Series. So another vision series, we do a vision series once or twice a year because I think it's very, very important that we get a bird's eye view of what's going on and make sure that we're on the same page. We want to make sure the church is on track. And uh, I want to go a little bit different direction than I usually do with the vision series, especially the first couple weeks. We'll have a couple weeks, then we've got a special speaker coming. You guys will get Dr. Alan Tennyson, and then uh, we'll do a couple more weeks. It'll be somewhat theoretical and biblical at the beginning, and then more practical and, and specific in the, uh, in the latter part of this series. We're calling it Saul to Paul, a Good Hope Vision series. So we'll talk about a young man named Saul who becomes Paul the Apostle. But let me start off first with some things that I believe that I didn't used to believe. Some things that I believe as an adult that as a young adult, I did not believe. So these aren't things that, you know, when I was two, I didn't believe because I didn't understand. This is things that as a young adult, I did not believe. And now I have come to believe. So let me just list a couple of them, a few. First, I believe that God is actually real, not a figment of our collective cultural imagination, that the creator God is actually real. And I believe that belief in God is just as rational and reasonable as atheism or agnosticism or other isms. I think you can have a rational, reasonable belief in God. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, the one who paid for the redemption of each person and any person from the separation from God required by our evil and misplaced actions and our misplaced and evil thoughts. He is the one who has redeemed us into God's adoptive family and the inheritance that comes with that. I believe that God has given each of us the ability to choose to either come to him or reject him and that this has present day and eternal consequences. I also believe that everyone who believes the statements that I just read, should be highly motivated to know God and to work together with others who believe these things in order to represent God well in this world and to help others to choose to come to God rather than reject the Creator who loves them. Since I believe all these things, I felt like I needed to do something. You know, like, I believe that somebody who thinks these things should be highly motivated to do something about it. So I really felt like I needed to do something. And that something is called church. (laughs) Church is what we call that thing that I'm motivated to do. However, church can fail to capture the beauty and the simplicity and the strength and the glory of God. So my job as a pastor is to keep church, specifically Good Hope Church, but however much influence I can have, church on the right track, to have the right focus, to have the right church culture, have the right heart. My job is to shepherd that, to shepherd the church, the group into the right things. How do you do that? You know, I don't know if you've heard that it's like herding cats. You know, you ever hear people say things like that. Sometimes church leadership is like herding cats. You know, there's people going all these different directions. And I got to tell you something. Some people think that, that the church is just the way I want it. Well, let me tell you, it is not. I mean, there are all kinds of things that I want to have different about Good Hope Church. Uh, I mean, I even wish the sermons were better. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't just exactly how I want it, but how do we try to make progress? How do we try to grab hold of the fullness that God has for us and stay on track while we do that? How do we do that? What's the strategy? Well, here's the simplest way is a vision statement. You know, that's the simplest, easiest way to kind of communicate something 
to a large group of people. And so we have a vision statement. I'm going to tell you our vision statement and I'm going to go over some hand motions. So here we go. We've got a six word vision statement. It's very simple. Reach up, rise up, reach out. Trying to communicate something important in a short period of time. Here's the hand motions. Reach up and then rise up and reach out. Those are the hand motions. In church here, when I've got everybody in here, I make them do the hand motions. I'm going to take a risk and have you do the hand motions as well. Why do I have people do hand motions? Because it's a goofy, irrelevant thing. And maybe if we can work together on a goofy, irrelevant thing, God will trust us with something more important. But if we can't work together on something so stupid and simple, as hand motions to the vision statement, then how are we going to work together on anything? You know what I mean? So that's why I do it. Let's try to get our hearts in the right place. So I'll demonstrate it one more time, and then it'll be your turn. We're going to learn the vision statement, those six words, three concepts, and then uh, do the hand motions. So we got reach up, rise up, and reach out. This time it's your turn. Let's see it. Reach up, rise up, and reach out. Very very good. I'm, I'm acting in faith that you actually participated in that. If you didn't, maybe you got some stiff neck thing you got to deal with. Uh, but I encourage you to loosen up a little bit and have a little fun. And let's work together to make something good happen. I want to explain those three things just a little bit. Reach up. I believe that a real relationship with the living God is available to you. And so the hand motions part, reach up. I want that to be like like a, a, a two-year-old having their dad pick them up. Pick me up. You know, like we're reach up, let's reach up to God. And then God will be like, oh, hey man, how you doing? Like Jesus with the little children, when he placed his hands on them, you know, took them in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them, you know, reach up and then rise up. It's just simply let's, let's be getting better. I believe a real relationship with the living God will change you, that you will be called up. You'll be called up out of the garbage that's been holding you back your whole life. And you'll be called up into who God created you to be. That's rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And then reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. If we have a real relationship with God and this is changing us, then we're going to be called to do some things. It's going to, there's going to be a call to action because there are real needs out there. There are so many things that need doing, so many things that need to change. And so let's participate and be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. That's reach out. That can have many, many forms. There's a variety of things that people do wrong with this. Reach up. You know, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Too many people have a real relationship with ideas in their head. You know, they can be religious ideas or they can be ideological ideas, but they think they're connecting with a higher power and all they're connecting with is ideas. This, of course, is obviously true in the religious world. You can be thinking theological thoughts. You can be acting a certain way so that you fit in with the group, but you don't really have a real relationship with God. I don't care if you participate in Good Hope Church or what, like, get to know God. That's a way more important thing than fitting in at church. So, you know, don't miss the real relationship with God because you have a real relationship with church or a real relationship with me saying things or what. That Honestly, that stuff doesn't really matter. A real relationship with God. Don't take any substitutes for that. Get that real relationship with God. Then, um, then rise up. A real relationship will change you. Too many people are focusing on what other people are doing wrong and instead of, instead of dealing with themselves and getting better. When I read the Bible, I see uh, an expectation of us getting better. Looking in the mirror, looking at ourselves, and working to improve. Letting God move in our hearts and putting in the effort so that we can make progress as human beings. 
So this is very important. We need to rise up. You know, I don't care that there's hypocrites in church and you can point the finger at people. I don't care what the Democrats are doing or what the Republicans are doing. I don't care. Let's look at ourselves instead of worrying about everybody else and let's go ahead and get better. So that's what that one is about. Let's get better and then reach out. I believe God actually has important things for you to do in this world. They're probably mostly informal things. Like, I mean, people can sign up and help in the nursery. And I got to tell you, that really makes a big difference. Having somebody love on little kids in the nursery while their parents are in church, that's a big deal. And that's a formal thing you can sign up for. You know, we got a vetting process and all this sort of deal. But, you know, there's tangible things you can sign up for. But most of it is... Be a good friend. Be a good spiritual influence on others. Show the heart of God towards other people in your life, at school, at work, with your family, with your friends. You know, it's mostly intangible. You see somebody at Walmart and you just feel like you need to tell them that, you know, it's going to be okay, then you just do that. It's intangible most of the ways that we reach out. But I believe this is a simple way of understanding what it means for us to stay on track, both individually and as a church, is this vision statement. Reach up. Let's stay connected with God. Let's connect in the first place. Let's stay connected. Rise up. Let's be getting better. Be on a growth track. Don't think you're stuck. Oh, well, I can. No, you can be better tomorrow than you are today and believe for it. And then uh, reach out. You know, you got actual significance. There's some things that there are there for you to do that are important. So let's go ahead and do that. So that's our vision statement. It's the general principles that we want to walk in as Good Hope Church, and we want to stay focused on that. So that's why I keep covering the vision statement. I feel like it's very important for us. Now, let's talk about a Bible story. Let's weave in the story of a Bible hero of mine, the Apostle Paul. Now, at the beginning, his name is Saul. And like so many characters in the Bible, we see a renaming happen. And it doesn't explain it. Just at one point, it says Saul, who was also called Paul. And then it goes on, and then he's mostly Paul after that. It doesn't explain the process. You know, like Simon Peter, he's Simon. And we know the the situation where all of a sudden he becomes Peter. You know, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to call you Peter now. (laughs) You know, I mean, we see that moment in the scriptures. You can look that up if you want. But let's follow the life of this Saul who turns into Paul. Let's weave it into our vision series. So we first hear of a young man who will become Paul the apostle, but who at that time is very, very different. We're going to go to Acts chapter 7 starting in verse 54. This is the tail end of the story of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen has been given an incredibly long speech that's recorded in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And I mean, it's like it starts here, it's all the way through here, over to here, and then we pick it up down here. So this is a, a, the recording of Stephen's speech is very long. This is the response to the speech. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, 
The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So we see this young man named Saul. He's apparently old enough to have a certain level of authority to be able to go from house to house and drag people off and put them in prison. He apparently had that much authority, so I don't know that he was 14. You know, maybe he's in his 20s, early 20s. I don't know, somewhere in there. Young man named Saul, and he is an angry young man who thought he was following God. Saul was destroying the church, you know, this thing that, you know, helps us to connect with God, grow in our faith, and make a difference of this world. That in this world, that's the thing that Saul was wanting to destroy. So he wants to destroy the church by destroying each individual, bringing them to prison, you know, causing all kinds of havoc, all kinds of problems. Let me tell you, this guy needed Jesus. Amen. This Saul needed Jesus, not self-righteous religious anger. He had self-righteous religious anger. He was highly motivated, but he didn't have Jesus. What if this Saul, instead of self-righteous religious anger, what if instead he had a real relationship with the living God? What if instead of dropping into this anger and this hate and this desire for vengeance and destruction, what if instead of that he was growing in the ways of God? What if instead of making this difference for darkness and hurting people and damaging people and bringing destruction, what if instead he could make a difference for good and he could help people. This guy needed Jesus. What if Saul had those three things, the connection with God, growing in his faith and making a a difference. Instead, he's bringing destruction. He's sinking into hatred and he's, he's got a connection with religious bigotry instead of the living God. So this guy needed Jesus. Are there other people that need Jesus? Besides this Saul from 2,000 years ago, I mean, today, are there people that need Jesus? Are the people out there that need Jesus? Are there people in here that need Jesus? Yeah, I think so. Young Saul made the aggressive mistake, which was self-righteous hatred. He acted on self-righteous hatred. Some people today still make that mistake. They yield to self-righteous hate. That's true inside the Christian world, and it's getting to be more and more true outside of the Christian world. You know, uh, self-righteous hatred, you know, your theology is wrong, the world is a disaster, and everybody deserves to be destroyed. I mean, like this self-righteous religious hatred, that's a disaster. That's what we see with young Saul. That can happen inside the church. You know, I'm doing what I can to take care of that. But this also happens outside the church. You know, in today's world, all you got to do is you know, just watch the news or, you know, like there's, there's all of this, you know, like, can you believe those idiots are that stupid? You know, that kind of a mentality is like the news, you know, it's unbelievable. So the, the whole, you know, to caricaturize here. So the whole, you know, cancel culture woke thing, you know, that's just generally speaking, uh, self-righteous hatred. So we see it inside the church, we see it outside the church. 
That's the aggressive mistake. That's a big problem. Some today make the opposite mistake. That is apathetic disengagement. You know, they're just like nothing matters anyway. So they just disengage. Some have a toxic mix of both hate and apathy. You know, you mix those two things together, that can be even worse. What I'm trying to say is there's plenty of people in this world that need Jesus. There's plenty of people. There's people in the church that need Jesus. There's people out of the church that need Jesus. There's plenty of people that are stuck in this self-righteous hatred or apathetic disengagement. They just don't think life is even worth anything. And uh, there's people with a mix of both. There's plenty of people in this world that need Jesus. Now, Saul here, who is so excited when he sees Stephen killed and murdered by this mob, he's just like, yeah, he thinks he's right. He thinks he's good. He's approving of the death of Stephen. And he's like, yeah, let's go get some more. You know, so he runs around trying to collect people to bring to prison to to deal with because they're like Stephen. So he had no idea that he was doing the wrong thing. Is it possible that we might be clueless about the things we're doing wrong, too? I think that's an important question that in our culture we don't ask. We just look, they're stupid, you know. What about looking in the mirror? Let's evaluate. Am I in the wrong spot? Am I doing okay? Am I, am I walking the right path? Let me tell you, the way of God is the way of love. So if you want to find out if you're walking with God, if you're uh, making some of these mistakes, then look in your heart. What's in your heart? Are you, like Saul, swept away by the controversies of the day into hate? Then you need Jesus. Are you bored and despondent because everything is pointless? You need Jesus. I was fortunate enough to be at a, a conference where Chris Hodges, the pastor of Church of the Highlands, was, was speaking. And uh, he, he, he's, I like him. He's a good guy. Don't know him well. So I'm on the stage way over there. But he, um, he said, you know, that he does theologically incorrect altar calls. And everybody was like, what? Like on purpose. He on purpose does theologically incorrect altar calls. And we we're all just thinking like, what is he talking about? He says, he says, I'll do this kind of an altar call. If you're a Christian who doesn't know Jesus, today is your day. Today is your day to come to a real relationship with Jesus. You know, he, he calls people in. He says, if you're a Christian who doesn't know God, if you're a Christian who doesn't have a relationship with, with Jesus, if you're a Christian, you know, who doesn't have Christ in your heart, you know, what does he mean by that? He means like, if you're in the Christian world and you consider yourself a Christian, but you've never got beyond just being a cultural Christian, you've never made that real connection with God, he calls them in. So if you're in the religious world, but you don't have a real relationship with God, it's just ideas and behaviors and you're trying to fit in with the group, then you need Jesus. I don't want you to be full of self-righteous hate swept away by today's controversies. I don't want you to feel like everything is pointless and worthless and meaningless. And I certainly don't want you to be stuck in church and not have a real relationship with God. I don't want any of those things for you. And God doesn't want any of those things for you. The good news is that a real relationship with the living God is available to you. That's great. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get there? How would someone like this Saul, this young man who is approving of the vicious murder of somebody because of what they said, how does someone like that, you know, because let's just talk about Paul just a little bit more. Paul here, he was doing what Stephen was talking about. The end of Stephen's sermon here, the end of Stephen's speech that they kill him for, he says, we'll go to Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. This is what 
Stephen says to to conclude his sermon, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? You even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And then that's where we pick up what we already read about the stoning of Stephen. So he's saying, look, you guys have persecuted the true followers of God. You've killed them. You killed Jesus. You murdered him. And they got so mad about that that they murdered Stephen. Instead of taking the correction and going into, you know, the right ways, they just doubled down and murdered Stephen too. So how does someone like that this Saul, who's all on board with it, he's 100% excited about this. How does someone like that change? Well, we'll get to that next week. We'll get to the details. How do we change? I think that's more important for us. How do we change? What does it look like to start a real relationship with God? Got two possibilities here from the scriptures. One is you can knock and uh, enter into that relationship that you've been invited in. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, something that I find very valuable, something that was very meaningful to me. Jesus says here, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. If you want a real relationship with God, a real relationship with Jesus. If you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, you want to make that connection. I believe that you can ask and seek and knock and the door will be opened for you. And you've got to go ahead and do that. Don't just sit there apathetically and not do anything. You've got to go through that process. You've got to make it real. You've got to take your time and pray. You've got to seek God. You've got to go through that process, but believe that you can make that connection. Go ahead and put this into practice. Initiate the relationship. Jesus here invites us in. If you've been invited, you can go ahead and knock on the door and they will let you in. If you haven't been invited and you knock on someone's door, it could go a number of different ways. But if you've been invited and you knock on the door, you can come in. Jesus invites us here. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So it's anybody. Go ahead and knock. The door will open. You can knock and initiate the relationship with God. Don't talk to me about it. Don't read some book about it. Just go ahead and pray. Go ahead and and go directly to the source. So you can knock and initiate the relationship. Maybe, though, it's the other way around, and you need to be the one who opens the door. Maybe you're the one who's got the door closed, you know? Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is from the the message to the angel in Laodicea. I'm going through uh, Revelation in our daily devotions with much fear and trepidation because I'm not an expert on the book of Revelation, but I'm doing the best I can. But here it says, In verse 20 of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, the message to the church in Laodicea, verse 20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here is a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. Hey, let me in. Can I come in? Some people need to initiate the connection. They need to knock. But this is a picture of it going the other direction, where maybe you're shut out to God and you need to open the door. What were the type of people this was being written to? 
So we see verses 15 through 18, it kind of describes who these people are. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So there's a whole bunch of things to understand there. Cold and hot doesn't mean against God or for God. It means to be useful. Anyway, too much to talk about right now, but that common thing is not right. But what's happening here is these are people who are self-sufficient. They've got everything they need. They got it all figured out and they don't need Jesus. And so they've shut the door to the Lord. That person doesn't realize what they're missing. And so the, the thing here is go ahead and open the door. Maybe you've shut God out for whatever reason. You got it all figured out. You got everything you need. You're happy with your life. Maybe you have some wounds there. Maybe there's some other things that have caused you to shut the door. It's not so much about you knocking and seeking. It's about you finally saying, okay, yeah, come on in. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe, like we'll talk about next time, like young Saul, Jesus is just going to kick down the door. You know, that's what happened. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus just kicked down the door for Saul. He, he wasn't knocking. Jesus wasn't knocking. He just knocked the door right down because he had a special plan for this young man named Saul. But hey, let's... uh. Let's kind of finish up here. I want to finish up by reading something that this young, angry man would later say, you know, because he did not stay the same. He was not always someone who wanted to hurt other people. He was not always someone who was self-righteous and knew that he had it all figured out and that those idiots need to be be hurt. Those idiots need to be punished. He, he did not stay that way. He did not stay that way. He changed. Connected with God, he grew, and he made a difference. Let's read something he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The one who agreed with, rejoiced in, was excited about, and took his cues from the murder of Stephen and went to destroy the church. Now he kneels before Almighty God, the one who's over everyone, and he prays that out of the abundance of God, his glorious riches, that he may strengthen. He's talking to the Ephesian church here, but I believe that this prayer applies to us as well, that we may be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit on the inside of who we are, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not knowing some ideas and knowing how to behave so you can fit in with the group, but Christ dwelling in our hearts. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, with everybody, that includes us then, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This guy goes from a murderous young man, full of it, 
religious hate and bigotry and violence is someone who's changed by God and who kneels before the Father and appeals to God to say, show them the love you have for them like you showed me the love you have for me and help them to grab hold of it. Saul found out that a real relationship with God was possible. I want all of us to know that a real relationship with God is possible and that God is love, that he has good things for us and he's going to see us fight through. Let's pray. Let's try to grab hold of what this prayer is all about and uh, that'll finish us up today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your glory and your goodness. Thank you that we can have a real relationship with you, that that's possible, that you invite us in to knock on the door and have the door open. Lord, if we're holding back on you and we're the ones holding the door shut, Lord, I pray that you would show us that's what's going on and that we would open our hearts and open the door so that you come in. Father, help us to know that you love us. Help us to have a revelation of the power of how much you care about us, how much you're on our side, how much you are willing to sacrifice for us. And Lord, help us to understand that, have that deep heart, spirit revelation of that so that we come before you with a humble heart, acknowledging that you are good and that you are merciful and agreeing with your desire to redeem us and bring us into a new life. Help us to be filled to the full measure of your love. And as we read here in Ephesians 3, that Christ can dwell in our hearts. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. Come and dwell in us. Change us. Turn us from hateful and selfish and dark-hearted to loving and about helping other people and seeing clearly with your love as the lens that we see this world and ourselves through. So Father, help us to make that real connection, not settling for anything else, but seeking you until we find. Father, I pray that you would be real to each one of us and help us grab hold of that relationship with you that is more important than anything else in this world. So Lord, guide us in this. Bless us with this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.